0: Hello and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things Food Network with your favorite Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have a professional chef on the podcast who has opened over 20 restaurants in his career. We talk all about how the restaurant industry has changed over the course of his career, how New York has shaped his culinary perspective and his experience mentoring and coaching struggling chefs on his new show. He is an accomplished chef, the culinary director of BLT Restaurant Group, and the host of Food Network's Chef Bootcamp. Let's welcome Cliff Crooks. Cliff, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: Fantastic, Jamie. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining us. This is a first. I believe you're recording the podcast from Turks and Caicos. Is that correct?
1: Yes, I am. I am uh, semi uh, on the beach. I'm close to the beach. I can see it, not on it. But I can see it. It's like a (laughs) a, a gigantic aquarium and I can't get outside.
0: That's better than uh, the the view I have, which is uh, rainy New York City at the moment. Are you there for for business or pleasure or both?
1: I uh, know I'm here for all business. Uh, okay. We have an opening. We're opening a BLT steak here at the Ridgecrawling in the Turks and Caicos, and uh, I am doing this.
0: Well, not a bad place to to be opening in a restaurant, and that, that actually leads in, into my first question quite nicely. You're the culinary director at BLT Restaurant Group. You've personally ov- opened over 20 restaurants, which is an incredible accomplishment. Can you kind of walk us through a, a day in the life of your job, maybe a day in the life of a uh, what it's like uh, there in Turks and Caicos opening a restaurant right now.
1: The best way to describe it is no two days of my life are exactly the same, which is, you know, part of the maniacal enjoyment of what I, what I'm privileged to do for a living. You know, it's, it, it ranges from, you know, anything from menu development to staff and crew development, training new chefs, uh, sometimes retraining existing chefs, uh, working on, you know, processes and all of that, you know, what is semi boring stuff to a lot of people but it really helps with day-to-day operation and the fun part of it is occasionally getting to actually cook and (laughs) physically work, physically work and handle food whenever uh, possible.
0: What what would you say is the most challenging part of your job?
1: The most challenging part? Definitely the human aspect. You know, restaurants require people. It's one of those things that it's not easily automated, um, or at least every single position does not have the ability to be automated and no two people are alike. The human component and, you know, one's you know, attitude or how they woke up, uh, you know, on which side of the bed on a day-to-day basis uh, does come into play a lot. You know, you could write a rule book of this is how it's supposed to be. One, two, three, and line out someone's day. Um, It's never going to be exact. And, you know, training someone or, you know, telling them that they have the ability to be fluid. Everything is not black and white, especially in hospitality. You need to be as relaxed and, you know, semi go with the flow as much as possible. What would you say is the most rewarding part of your job? Training someone and having them do it without me asking. <laughs> that's the
0: goal, right? As a manager is, in any profession.
1: That's the, yeah, exactly. Um, it's not just, it's not just, you know, restaurant. And hospitality, it's someone taking it upon themselves to act. And honestly, if they don't know, you know, raising their hand and going, hey, listen, I have no clue what I'm doing. And, and that's an OK and acceptable answer and a great place to be as long as you, you know, stay it so that someone can help you.
0: Do you have a favorite restaurant that you've opened over over the course of your career?
1: Opening in Seoul was my favorite location. It's the culture and the items that are only available there and how they differ from even, you know, such as a tropical location. Um, it's pretty, it was, it was really, really awesome.
0: When you look at kind of just like the landscape of restaurants um, and how they've changed over the course of your career and, and maybe specifically over the uh, over the last year, uh, what stands out to you the most?
1: Wow. it's it's This industry is night and day and not just over the past year. The old system of, you know, everyone in restaurants and hospitality, you know, you work, work, work. And, you know, it's 12 to 16 hour days and you seemingly beat your head into a wall. That which is a very, very old and antiquated system. And you just keep <laughs> working and working and working you know, seemingly until you die, you know, a lot of that old school mentality is gone by the wayside. Thankfully, the other side is a lot of the the younger managers and, you know, chefs uh, coming in view it through this lens of I already, you know, have put in my time when you really haven't and think that they're, you know, at the not to use the term top of the food chain isn't exactly uh, what it is. But, you know, they have been in this business for a year and think they paid their dues and they don't even need to work eight hours a day uh, and or do some of the mundane, you know, or seemingly mundane details uh, that are involved in day-to-day operation, but keep the machine running. A lot of people aren't interested in doing that anymore and they just want the payoff. You know, it's kind of like, you know, joining any team and whether like, hey, listen, I'm only here to hit home runs or, you know, I'm only (laughs) here to score touchdowns. Life doesn't work that way. And getting that across is a much longer conversation, which then eats into whatever, whatever it that they really need to learn. It's like, okay, let me kind of where you organize your brain to the reality of where your career actually is right now and move forward. I love a bit of moxie. I love, you know, cocky individuals, you know, to a point because that that just means you have a lot of chutzpah, which I do really, really love. But, you know, keeping it tamed and, and knowing when it's appropriate to kind of flex whatever muscle you have is very important.
0: I, I feel the same, you know, sometimes when people reach out to me about their upcoming television career. And, you know, I feel so old when I tell them, like, I used to carry my own camera and shoot all of my own stories. Yeah, no, no, no.
1: That's like, that's like that's great, but but I just want to start where you are.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, how do I get there? Like, well, let me tell you a story. Um, as you look ahead ahead to the future, what what do you think what do you think the future holds for the industry, you know, cuisine moving forward as as we've seen kind of some of these like innovative things, I would say, over the last several years, where where do you see the industry going?
1: You know, had we not all lost, uh, you know, a year of our lives, you know, food is still food. And there was that, you know, the mumbles and rumors of, you know, things such as fine dining, dying, which will never, ever happen. You know, it's it is, it is art, but I think guests are looking for more varied, uh, experiences and, and super Luke's fine dining is one aspect, but the thought of, Going out and spending 200 dollars on a dinner twice a week is is not is not one that is, uh, you know, completely sustainable for the everyday restaurant um, and the everyday you know uh, restaurant tour. You know, so a lot more of the middle ground restaurants will continue to pop up. Which is great because competition is great. The other side is where, you know, I'll use New York as an example. You know, there are thousands of restaurants in New York pre-pandemic and a lot of them sat in that middle range and they were good you know, not, you know, great, not horrible, but good. So you've just got this large pocket of okay. And the ones that, you know, financially stood out were, are the, you know, quick service restaurants because people started realizing, okay, so if I shorten the, you know, the guest turn time, not only could I create more revenue and, and I could also provide more, more employment for people. Really the guest wants to spend X amount. So let's, Let's actually, you know, crazy thought, give them what they want and move it forward, Um, you know, especially in an area like Midtown full of offices where you're going out for lunch. And unless you're, you know, unless you have a, a, you know, a C-suite position, your lunch is, uh, you know, an hour or 45 minute lunch, which really goes by super fast. So you've got to get out, get what it is and either get back to get back to your desk or your cube. Or, you know, scoff it down, eat it really quick, and still then get out and travel back to the office. And, you know, traveling in New York is not the fastest trip sometimes. So, you know, figuring out ways to shorten that guest interaction where they're still happy with their service, they're getting exactly what they want, and then they're out. And and, and then we have everything that's just in the middle. So when you get out and it's like, you know, seven, eight o'clock and you, you know, you want to enjoy a dining experience, but you don't want to pay, you know, a hundred plus dollars ahead. Uh, those things are there for you
0: and you've been in New York for for some time now has has this always been home or did you move to New York specifically for your culinary career
1: uh, no New York New York has always been home you know I've lived i've I lived uh, on the west coast for a little bit of time it, you know it's absolutely beautiful you know I would love to go on vacation there uh, but I, I I am a New Yorker I've yet to find Something else that, that that speaks to me the way New York does.
0: How do you think that the city has shaped you as a chef?
1: It's it's so culturally diverse. If you're unfamiliar with the cuisine, there, there are a lot of places for you to go and happily, you know, go down a rabbit hole and 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 try to experience what what the authentic side of that cuisine looks like. And if one chooses to to pay homage to it, and then if not, and you just think it's absolutely freaking delicious, then there there are many, many other places like it. Yeah, I I love the city. There's no (laughs) there really is no. Yeah,
0: I I feel the same. And uh, I know a lot of listeners uh, have have given me feedback. They always like to hear, you know, chefs favorite restaurants in their own cities. So what are your favorite restaurants in New York City right now that that are not your own?
1: Okay, so we'll go we'll go highbrow and then everyone. So one of my absolute favorites, Gramercy Tavern, will always sit number one. It's also very near and dear to my heart. You know, both the tavern room and the main dining room are, are just it's just an, it's an unbelievable and really warming, warming experience. Another top of the list, uh, Le uh one of my wife's favorite restaurants. Contra and Wild Air, two unbelievable human beings. You know that the, the culinary driving forces, uh, Jeremiah and Fabian, uh, behind. Both of those restaurants, um, and it, it, what I appreciate about it the most is the freedom that they take in what they do, just on a day-to-day basis. And they are they are they are hungry, they are driven, and they always have been, and you know, hopefully, always will be. Quick down the rabbit hole, I'm I'm down like in you know Chinatown. Um, Yeah. You know, for really, really, you know, just super banging flavors. I'm not going to call out one because we did, you know, lose a couple of real great ones, you know, due to the uh, pandemic. But one should one should go down to Chinatown and get lost for like three days and come back out with an appreciation for people because that's 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 exactly what it is.
0: Agreed. I I couldn't agree more. That that is a uh, one of my favorite places to explore. And and like you said, there's so many places down there. I mean, you could go every day, you know, for you know several months, and and still not you know experience yeah. everything everything that the the area has to offer. Besides New York, what what is your favorite food city?
1: Ooh, you know what? I'll go LA L A first over over Chicago, and I'm not going to pick out one because I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hurt some feelings. But okay. Fair. LA's got a. LA also has an incredible food scene. and It's one of those things where you know, oh, you know, you you know, you know, East Coast or West Coast in terms of food and cuisine. Chicago, unbelievable, and Milwaukee's on the on the rise uh, oh, okay. as well. With some, with some, you know, there's there's just there's a lot of talent, a lot of talent.
0: Next up, Cliff is giving us the inside scoop on how he got started as a chef. I want to go back a little bit, you know, before Cliff, the culinary director, before Cliff, the chef, what, what was it that, that initially sparked your interest in, in cooking?
1: You know, it was, I, I, you know, truth be told, it was, it it was an accident. Really? I, um, yeah, it wasn't, I, it was, you know, like studying exercise science and working in restaurants because everyone needs cash. I'd been working in restaurants, uh, even when I was in high school and at one point, A restaurant restaurant I was working at, I was bartending and it's like a slow, slow Sunday service. And the the chef I was working with would, you know, go out on Saturday nights as most chefs do after service and get, you know, a little, a little, a little too toasty and leaving one uh, unable to function the next day. And guests would start rolling in early because it's a Sunday and no one's really eating late. And he's kind of semi passed out (laughs) in this office that's, you know, off, right off of the line. And I'm like, Hey, listen, like there, you know, I have like three guests at the bar that, you know, I have like an order in for the past 10 minutes. And he's like, Oh man. And I'm like, all right, why don't you just tell me? It was like, like you know, small things. I'm like, why don't you just tell me what's in it and I'll just bring it to you. So right off of this line, he's kind of, you know, you know, half-assed out in a chair and I'm there literally putting in a pan and doing what he's saying. And like, I bring it to him. And, you know, first he was like, no, 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 I'll start all over again. And then I got it, you know, to a point where to this day, and, and because I'm, I'm still in touch with the chef, we don't know if it was actually great or if it was like, "All right, I got to get him out of here now." <laughs> and this is this is passable. Uh, but that's that's when it started for me. That's how that's how I got the itch. Uh, the owner subsequently found out about a week later was not too thrilled, but was like, "Hey, listen, you know, is this something you really want to do?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it is." Uh, he's like, "Okay, great, you're going to come and work with me." So I went over to his other restaurant and worked with him for a month. Family-owned uh, restaurant. He had, had two restaurants at the time, uh, so I'm in the kitchen, like you know, learning to make pasta with his uncle. Um, and this is way, 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 way back in the day. So, with, yeah, there's this kid who you know absolutely knew nothing. You know, with you know an opportunity to see, look, and taste, and everyone had had a lot of patience for you know what had to be my stupidity at the time. But uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> but it, it worked out. Uh, I would say. I know you also spent some time um, in Taiwan when you're when you were younger. How much did that influence just, you know, your your culinary point of view?
1: You know, I, if you asked me then, um, I wouldn't have been able to answer that question now, just my appreciation for culture. And when I was, when I was younger, it was very, very different. And I absolutely loved it when, you know, my parents told us that, Hey, listen, you know, we were, we were gone for almost five years and like, Hey, listen, we're moving back to the States. I definitely chucked a tantrum. I was like, no, absolutely not. You know, I love it here. I don't, I don't, I don't want to move. I don't want to go back. It definitely, as I got older, uh, I still harken back to a lot of the flavor memories that I have from being a kid and being there. It's very, very near and dear to my heart.
0: How would you describe your, your personal cooking style?
1: Clean where applicable. I'm not a, I don't, I don't like over, you know, anything too fussy. You know, I I want it to taste like what it is um, with a dash of something that there's no way in heck you could absolutely do yourself at home because why would you be ordering it from me?
0: That's a good point because, yeah, if you can do it at home, why why pay the premium in a restaurant? It's a go Um, out, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm curious to know if you had watched Food Network when you were kind of up and coming. And the second part of that question, if you ever imagined that you would be you know, part of the Food Network family as you have become?
1: I, you know, very loosely watched Food Network. Um, Food Network wasn't the same when I was, you know, early teens as it was when I was, you know, let's say, you know, high school, college. That's when I, I really started watching Food Network. Food Network to me before was watching my Nana cook and really just bothering her all day um, and and asking her and and being able to ask her way too many questions retaining absolutely nothing but just being that you know kid in in the kitchen and surrounded by women who could just cook their butts off as i got older and then really you know like realized what food network was like you know all the chefs on food network at the time were you know and and still like you know demigods you know just like like awesome this is so cool could I ever have imagined? Absolutely not. There's no way I would have imagined that I would be in the presence of and so close to, you know, so many amazing chefs.
0: Well, now that you are part of the family, what what is your favorite part about kind of being in that network of chefs that, that you speak so highly of?
1: That somehow they still tolerate me uh, without <laughs> me, without me being, you know, I'm always upfront and honest, uh, you know, sometimes to a fault, I would admit, but I don't know everything, you know, and, you know, being able to, again, be surrounded by people who also probably don't know everything, but especially in this world, know a lot more. There's also that point where no one, you know, no one on Food Network before looked like I do. So I am often reminded of it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then I stop and I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. The best part about it now is other people who do look like me going, wait a minute. Okay, so there is a chance. And it's not easy. I couldn't tell someone exactly how to do it because I don't exactly know myself. I know I've worked hard. I've done all of the necessary things personally within myself to be a better person than I was before. And the rest of it's dumb luck. <laughs> dumb dumb luck plays its way into a lot of things. Dumb luck is, is a lot of what you know, restaurants are, you know, you know, people are, you know, incredibly talented and very well funded and it just doesn't work. I got lucky. That's, that's the, it's the truth. I somehow have an ability to Relay information in a way that people respond to, and in a positive way. You know, when every when everyone else around me seems to be okay with it, so I just keep doing it. You know, I'm like,
0: that's the secret. Just keep doing it. But no, I mean, I think, I mean, you bring up a great point. You know, representation is so important. You know, the, the thought that there might be, you know, a kid out there, you know, just like you were in high school, you know, working in a restaurant, you know, looking at you and and thinking to themselves, like, I can do that. You know, what does that what does that mean to you?
1: everything. It means everything. Having someone succeed, A, and then be the best possible version that they want to be of themselves. If I can have a hand in that, then like, that's that's it.
0: That's I'm it. good. Well, I, I think that that expertise, that honesty, that inspiration, I think those are all reasons why you, you are the perfect host and mentor for, you know, Chef Bootcamp, uh, the Food Network show, where you basically put, you know, struggling restaurant chefs through a series of challenges, you're testing their culinary skills. You know they're trying to prove that they have the talent to succeed. What is your approach to working with these chefs and giving them, you know, the constructive feedback that they really need to grow and and improve on their skills?
1: Blatant honesty. That's the key. That's all. And again, it's not a secret. The approach is having having someone be as as straightforward with you as possible to get you from point A to point B without sugarcoating it. And I'm not here to like. I would love to be everyone's friend, but your position is on the line, which means that your income's on the line. So then your family's livelihood is on the line, the livelihood of the restaurant owner that is You know, not only paying your salary, but then funding the rest of the lunacy that goes along with running a restaurant, all that's on the line. So everything is everything is absolutely interconnected. So if we all can agree, all right, from the point, let's 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 all get on the same page. This is why you're here. And we're going to deep dive into what the issues are so that we could. Speed up the process and get them fixed. At the end of the day, um, I'm not. I'm not a miracle worker. It, it really. It takes that individual really buying into why they are there and what I'm telling them in order for them to have a, a successful journey through boot camp. Without that, it's gonna be rough. It's definitely <laughs> gonna be rough. But then again, but then again, such is life it's not, it's not taking someone who is a home cook and turning them into like Joel Robichon by, you know, the end of a three-day camp, but it's taking them from where they were and whether it's, you know, adjusting their attitude, because at the end of the day, we all need a smack in the butt at no matter what level we are in life. Sometimes, you know, taking them from that and, you know, moving them along the line of, okay, great. You know, uh, you know, maybe I didn't realize this about myself, a, or, wow, I need to kind of keep my mouth shut and, you know, really focus more on what I'm doing. And then I can be more successful or whatever the case may be. It's about the chefs.
0: And most of these chefs are, you know, are on the show because their own restaurant, you know, nominated them for, you know, needing to improve in some way. I mean, that's kind of rough. I mean, you mentioned your brutal honesty. I mean, what's their attitude and and how receptive are they to The coaching.
1: You know, some are some are more receptive than others. You know, you get chefs that are like, okay, you know, this is an opportunity for me to be better which is which is where I would love everyone to be when they come in and then some are like you know what I really don't give a crap what you're going to tell me you know I know I'm good because everyone tells me I'm good well the world is not an easy place and all of our parents love us and it's like your mom or your dad telling you that you are really handsome or you are really beautiful parents lie <laughs> so I'm not here to lie and tell you that you are great when you are not great I will tell you you can be 100% better because I believe I can make anyone better. You have to do some work in order for that to happen.
0: I mean, does it get tense at all? I mean, are, on camera or oh, off
1: camera?
0: How do you Absol- handle that?
1: Absol- absolutely, it gets tense because it's emotion and it should be emotional and it should be tense because it's not a game. The best part about doing this show is for some reason Food Network allows me just to be myself. There, there are no scripts. It's not, hey, you know, say this or get someone to do this. It is life as it happens, which is awesome. And with that, people people are people are gonna get tight. They're they're gonna get upset. And someone's want to tell someone is inevitably going to want to tell me to go scratch, which is fine because that's not really anger. That's emotion, and the emotion is coming from I've obviously hit a nerve, and I'm not and I'm not going to beat on that nerve. It's not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. But let's realize it, figure out why, and figure out what your trigger points are. But I'm going to press it because I want to because I want to expedite the process because the only way to get you to move past where you are right now is to realize why in the world are you like this? (laughs) Why why are you so resistant? It should be emotional. There isn't a there isn't a day where a something doesn't go wrong in restaurants for me because that's that's one of the fun things about running restaurants. A day does not come where everything is 100% and where emotion is not tied into some aspect of my day personally. And I'm not just talking about at home. I'm talking about work. Um, And it's not you know, a, a overwhelming feeling of emotion or anything bad, but I do feel very, very strongly about a lot of things. And a lot of those things are related to people. Again, we're going back to the 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 human element of running restaurants on a day to day basis. It's because I, w- I want people to be as good as they can be, and there's a, there's a way to do it. I'm 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 not a yeller, or I'm not a screamer. Uh, if anything, I, I, I take the opposite route. Where I'll talk to you in this cadence, and I use my hands a lot uh, when I talk. <laughs> but but if I'm displeased with something, I do get a lot quieter, and you know, you just the cadence in my voice changes, and that just lets you know that now you need to listen more intently, and whatever comes after. Me slowing down is definitely important, and this is what you need to listen to because these are your opportunity areas.
0: What is the biggest mistake that you you see these restaurant chefs making, you know, in general?
1: I don't think there's I don't think there's one common thread issue. I think it's chefs losing themselves somehow in what can be very monotonous at times and getting focused more on. I just want to cook. Well, while cooking is u- uber, uber important, um, it's it's a it's a it's a component within what your total duty is, Um, you know, and then some chefs just want to do everything else other than cook and then forget that you need to, you need to watch your quality. But then in order to watch your quality and know someone's doing it correctly, you need to do it better than anyone else that works for you. So that gets lost. And there's the owner component where it's, oh, I have someone back there to handle it and then I don't need to manage it. But you're paying that person. So, you know, it's like having an accountant that uses crayons when they do your taxes. You know, <laughs> like, well, well, OK, let's look at the body of work that you're paying for and then realize, you know, are, are you OK with this? Is this mediocrity to you? OK, now how are we going to fix it? And then having that conversation gets really difficult. It's a hundred times more difficult when it's family either in the back or, you know, there's, you know, a son or daughter running the kitchen or running the front and mom or dad are in the back or vice versa, it gets pretty hairy. It gets pretty hairy.
0: It's a it's challenging for sure, um, and I, I know you faced a, a new challenge when you recently competed on Tournament of Champions this past season. Um, you yeah. went up against Tiffany Faison. Um, this is probably the most talked about show on the podcast for good reason because you know it's it's full of complicated challenges. You've got you got the upsets, you've got you know the the competition, the sports aspect. How is your personal experience on that show? Oh,
1: it was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. It is, it is, you know, the, it's, it's a sport. It is. <laughs> it's a sport. You have to be ready to play. There's no training per se. It's a sport that is 80% mental. Movement is one thing and you know, it's 80% mental and 20% speed and accuracy. And in that 80% mental, it's, it's knowing how to play the game properly. Going up against Tiffany, who it was, I mean, I, Tiffany's crazy talented, like ridiculously talented, but we weren't competing against each other. We were competing against ourselves (laughs) and happened to be cooking on the other side of the other person.
0: Is it the toughest competition show out there, you think?
1: Hands down. Yeah. (laughs) It is because it's not, it's not just straight cooking.
0: And and you have you have the randomizer in play.
1: That's the worst. That's the worst <laughs> creation. I mean, it'll it'll mess you up.
0: What's your what's your randomizer kryptonite?
1: I don't know. That's a that's a very that's a very good question, only because it does change. And if you thought something you didn't want was up there, they've now inserted something secretly that you really, really don't want that actually trumps <laughs> trumps whatever that was they they do a great job with with a horrible horrible piece of equipment it's really <laughs> unbelievable like really unbelievable like i can't express i can't express enough how how horrible it is
0: you have nightmares um, no that's a good point it's probably a good idea not to say what your kryptonite is because you know if you go back on tournament of champions that will 100 percent be uh on the wheel when wait when it's your yeah turn it's to like compete well,
1: again. It, because then it turns into you know it's like manifest destiny like you know like, <laughs> i don't want you know, I don't want like you know, a, like a hot water bath and like a roll of duct tape, and like all of a sudden he'll spin it, and it's like, <laughs> oh my goodness, like like how did this happen? It's exactly what I thought.
0: No, it's a, that's a good strategy. Uh, no, we so we've seen you compete. We've seen you also as a, a judge uh, on Worst Cooks in America. What what is your favorite part about judging that show?
1: The fact that you know, judging Worst Cooks, the best thing about it is the fact that they they are. That they're still called worst cooks, because what what whatever they're presenting in that final judging round, it's actually very, very good. And don't get me wrong, like we can all sit and nitpick about almost anything. But what they're able to accomplish with you know these you know worst cooks from start to finish is really, really amazing, really amazing. And the quality of food, is, I mean, completely, I mean, it'll blow you away. You're you're eating it with the intent to nitpick, and then you're like, unless it's, you know, unless it's really bad, and, you know, that's just how life is sometimes. You can make something a million times, and then, you know, it's like, I don't know what happened today. But it's been very, very good.
0: And you're also a judge uh, on Battle of the Brothers. Uh, I still, as good as you say that, You know, judging Worst Cooks is at the end. I would have to imagine it's quite a a different judging experience uh, on
1: Battle of the Brothers. Oh, it's like night and day, especially because you you get to see the complete arc, you know, judging Worst Cooks. It's blind. Right. So you come in and when you at home see, you know, the different episodes leading up until the end. As a judge, you you're not a part of any of that. You're there solely for that final taste. Um, Battle of the Brothers was pretty dope because you get to see you get to see the complete line in everyone's story and how they move through and working with Michael and working with Brian and these chefs pick up a lot of different tips if they're smart very quickly and use these tools throughout the preceding rounds. They've got some really good food, the, you know, and, and the, you know, look, the Voltaggio brothers are the Voltaggio brothers. I mean, there's no, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I, I could be on a desert island with the two of them and not worry about eating because I know, <laughs> I know something's going to, you know. I'm uh, just
0: going to whip something up. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. And it's going to be, and it's going to be great, um, you know, two two completely different styles, but both are really, really exceptional.
0: Well, this has been so much fun, but we we do have to wrap things up. So I'm going to finish off with some rapid fire questions. And then we have one question that we ask all, all of our guests here on Food Network Obsessed. So I will start with the rapid fire moment you are most proud of in your culinary career.
1: Ooh, one particular watching cooks become sous chefs and become chefs and then going off and leaving and, you know, flying out of the nest and still keeping <laughs> in touch with them and watching watching their, their careers become as fruitful as they want them to be.
0: Dish you crave most often?
1: Ice cream. Mm, what flavor? Anything, anything that's got goodies in it. Nothing chewy. So no gummy bears or like hard candies. But I, I like it. anything else.
0: Anything else. OK, it's very broad. I like it. Worst thing you have ever cooked?
1: I, I, I don't know if I could pick one, um, <laughs> probably something. I mean, the last thing was, was, you know, definitely something I made at home. Oh, my goodness. No. So I made I made paella at home and went through this whole like, you know, really chef driven process. Of making you know the you know uh, the stock and blah blah blah, blah 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 right and uh my wife's family's from spain and so of course oh, they're wow. you know uh, you know paella <laughs> yeah so it's like you know it's like making you know something for really the wrong crowd Pressure's and on. it was yeah, and it was good but everyone being like you know what i i'd I be like yeah it's okay and i'm like what do you like what do you mean it's so, like what what's not okay about it and it was too much saffron and they're like if there was this much seafood in any paella in spain um, no one would eat it, which is the complete opposite of what people normally want when they get paella yeah. in my mind. <laughs> it, it, it honestly just, I mean, it was like, yeah, it was okay. There, there, there's that there actually there, there, have been a lot of times when like, I'll go to make something and I'm like, wait, can I cook? Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I do this, I do this for, I do this for a living. Actually, there are a lot of times at home where I cook and, and I'm like, wait, like I can do this all day, every day, but like on like a Sunday at home, like I'm like the worst cook ever. I'm like, uh, yeah. I mean,
0: I sometimes you, you know, you just have to, you can't be on all the time.
1: Yeah, no, I know. That's I just, what it is. I, it, you know, things happen It's life, right?
0: Uh What music do you listen to while you're cooking?
1: Lots, lots, <laughs> lots. I'm partial to metal.
0: Okay. Oh, really? Okay.
1: Yeah. We'll leave it at that.
0: okay. We'll all right we'll'll we'll, we'll go with that. Clean up as yeah. you cook or clean up when you're all done.
1: At work, a hundred percent, you know, and it's not just it's not just setting the example, but at work, definitely clean as I go. Uh, at home, probably a mess. Yeah. Um, I use way too many things, and this is obviously I'm quoting my wife here. <laughs> I use I use way too many things, uh, and if I'm cooking at home, there's probably a cocktail in my hand. so I'm really not looking forward to cleaning and then I leave it uh, until the end. And that's that's one of those do as I say, not as I do when I'm home moments.
0: Yes, for sure. OK, fi- final rapid fire question. Favorite takeout order?
1: Thai, Patsy you.
0: Mm, OK, yeah. I like that one. So our, our final question, we, we ask everybody this uh, final question on, on Food Network Obsessed. So the the menu for your perfect food day. So we're talking breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. You can cook. Somebody else can be cooking for you. You can spend as much money as you want. You can travel wherever in between meals. So basically there's no rules. Just we want to know breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert.
1: Champs and oyster omelet. Oh, definitely want to go get ice cream. Definitely want ice cream as a snack before lunch.
0: Okay. (laughs) I like that. Mid-morning snack of ice cream.
1: Go for a walk so I can make room for a a big, I I definitely want whole fish for lunch. Mm. Um, Really, really like super, super simple with like lots of sauces and lots of just like green raw components. Dinner, Sicilian. Mm. Pepperoni.
0: Yes. Anywhere in particular?
1: <laughs> no, I'm not going to call it out. Okay. I'm not going to say I'm not going to I'm not going I'm not going to say well, I'm not going to say one yeah. specific. But there's lots yeah, of shoes no. from New York for sure. Yes.
0: Yes. yeah <laughs> so so dessert are you doing like ice cream again for dessert or is
1: there something else no so second dinner i probably want two oh, slices second dinner of sicilian. Okay. Okay. i probably want two slices of sicilian and then i want pork buns
0: oh all right i like yeah. that i like yeah. that that combo
1: no second ice cream i'll okay. finish them off with cookies
0: okay all right chocolate yeah. chip or something else
1: anything round or
0: <laughs> anything round and baked with sugar in it
1: yeah i'm not a co- am <laughs> i am i am i am not a, a cookie highbrow uh okay. yes i wanted i want uh i want i want sugar um <laughs> and then and in round form That's really what i'm after
0: okay i think i mean i think that sounds perfect uh, i mean it's perfect no. to you that's and that's the most important thing um Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. This has been a blast and uh, continued success in your uh, Food Network career.
1: Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate it.
0: Such a great time getting to know Cliff a little bit more intimately. There are some days that I feel like I need a chef boot camp myself. You can catch Cliff at the judges table on Battle of the Brothers and more on Discovery+. Plus. As always, thanks so much for listening and make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to rate and review. We do love it when you do that. That's it for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday on Food Network Obsessed.